biohacking, performance, mastery, mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. The Hack Life with Joel Levin. Welcome to the show. Guys, welcome, welcome to the show. I am so excited for today's interview. This was an interview with the great Dr. Pete Goldman out of San Francisco, California. Dr. Pete is a chiropractor, but he is not your typical chiropractor, okay? He is someone I discovered many years ago, and I had a really bad shoulder injury. It was nagging me for at least a year, and I was doing jujitsu, and I just could not heal this thing. It felt like a muscular kind of issue. It, uh, it felt like maybe a tendon or a ligament or something was going on in my shoulder. And I had met Dr. Pete, and he said, hey, man, just come on in and see me. And I said, hey, man, you don't understand. This, this shoulder is not a bone problem, Dr. Pete. It's a tendon issue or a ligament. And he said, I got you. Just come on in. And I did, and I will tell you over just a couple of treatments, my shoulder rebounded remarkably. It shot up at least, I would say, 80% better within a few weeks, and it had been stagnant for years. And I can tell you right now, my shoulder feels pretty darn good. So that's how I first met Dr. Pete. I will tell you, he is not your average chiropractor. I just actually watched some other biohacker post on an Instagram post about his chiropractor. And I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be straight up honest. That dude is fugazi. That chiropractor is weak. He's he's good. He's a good chiropractor. He knows how to crack the bones. But he's the exact chiropractor that I went to for many many years. And they do the same thing. They go up and down the spine, crack your thoracic, crack your hips. There's really no difference, right? There's no bio individuality for that human being. Everybody is almost the same. You got neck, you got back issues, crack, crack, in and out. And don't get me wrong, I am an advocate for all chiropractors. I love alternative medicine. You should know that about me by now. But I'm just saying there's no individuality really for when someone comes in with different ailments. And what I mean by that is Dr. Pete will tell you about his zone technique and how he diagnoses and how he treats people. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing because Dr. Pete will tell you he's not just cracking people's bones and getting their neck and back issues better. He can do that. But what he's doing is he's rebalancing the body. He's healing people's livers, their gallbladder, their pancreas, their stomach, all these other organs in our bodies that may not be functioning. He's rebalancing. And if you don't believe me, if you think I'm just talking woo-woo or I'm talking out my butthole, let me tell you something. Look at the results, right? Go check out his testimonials. Go check out all the MMA fighters that Dr. Pete has seen over the years. Anybody that does MMA knows Dr. Pete. I know because I've talked to many of these individuals, and they will tell you their results candidly. And anybody I've recommended Dr. Pete over the years, they've seen him. And they've said things like, oh, my God, dude, my the experience was almost euphoric, the way their neck, the way that everything aligned, the way the vibration, the way they felt. Anyways, I won't talk anymore because I can go on and on about it, but it's a great show, and check it out. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pete. Thanks, man. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thank you for being I'm here. To be, I'm psyched to be on it. Uh, really excited to have you on. I've known you for many years. You're a chiropractor here in San Francisco, California, but you, in my opinion, are not the average chiropractor. And so I think we're going to delve deep into that in today's show. But what I want to actually start off asking you is something probably a little different than anybody that knows you wants to probably ask you directly about chiropractic. I don't care about that right now. What I actually want to ask you about is what probably some people don't know is you're from New York. You grew up in Brooklyn. And I kind of wanted just to hear what, what was that like growing up in Brooklyn in whatever decade it is. I'm not trying to figure out how old you are. But right. just <laughs> um, okay, so let me, let me tell you about growing up. So I was born in 1967. I know I don't look it, but. No, I definitely don't. So, um, look amazing. So I grew up in Brooklyn. Now, the Brooklyn I grew up in was very different than the Brooklyn of today. The Brooklyn of today is, um, is very nice. It's beautiful. It's expensive, et cetera, et cetera. 
the Brooklyn I grew up in was a real checkerboard neighborhood. So what a checkerboard neighborhood means is, uh, like, for example, if you look at, like, L.A., L.A. is not a checkerboard neighborhood because Beverly Hills is over here and Compton's over here. And they're very different neighborhoods. Beverly Hills and Compton are very different. So if you're walking in Beverly Hills, you're pretty safe. And you'd have to walk for about an hour and a half to end up in Compton and maybe not be so safe. You would know if you were in Compton. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, where I grew up in, in Brooklyn, it was a whole different world, meaning you could be on this block right here, and there were like millionaires living on that block. I mean, Even I'm back not, then. Yeah, this is, I'm talking yeah. the 1970s, yeah. 80s. There were millionaires living. I'm not saying everyone was a millionaire, but there could be millionaires living on this block. And like across the street, there were like bullets flying. It was like checkerboard. Like <laughs> you, this block was kind of safe. This block was terribly treacherous. Yes. You're kind of safe in this neighborhood. Oh, wow, I just walked two blocks, and I'm like in the worst neighborhood in New York City. So that's how Brooklyn was when I was a kid. Um, I... As most kids, I didn't know any better. I didn't understand. You know, you, when you're a kid, you just think, like, that's how things are. You don't, it doesn't occur to you that anyone's living a different life than you because you're right. a little kid. Yeah. I just thought that's how life was. And it was a very exciting and fun childhood. And living, growing up in New York is a great experience, when I grew up there at least, because it makes you very street smart. It makes you understand certain things that many people don't ever understand. Or if they do, maybe they'll understand it years later. Uh, it was a great, great childhood. It was very fun, very exciting, very dangerous at times, but I loved it. How did that that dangerous uh, area, how did that affect you, your upbringing, I guess? Okay. Well, it affected it, you know, maybe positively and negatively. Um, uh, I'll start with a negative. You know, there were just some days just like walking home from school without getting like mugged was like you know, a win. So you were, you would be, you would get mugged. Yeah, on a I mean, the thing basis, is, it wasn't or... like incredibly violent. It was more like this, like you know, I'd be like 11, and I'm walking home from school, and I'm just all of a sudden surrounded by like six kids who are like older than me, and there's six of them, and they're just like, "Give us your money, or give us your bike, or give us your skateboard." <laughs> now it never happened to me, but it was also like, "Give us your sneakers, or give us your damn pants, yes. or give us your jacket." You know, I never. Took up my clothes off for these guys, but <laughs> good. I'm glad. Right. Yeah. But um, you your ground. But it was. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was maybe 11 or so. We actually, me and my friends, started carrying mugging money because, like, you get mugged so often to carry like 35 cents in your pocket. Again, you're 11. You're surrounded by kids who are way older and bigger than you, and there's six of them, and there's one of you. They're like, "Give us your money. What are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? Oh, here's 35 cents. Bye. You know. So. It was pretty treacherous like that, and it could be a lot more treacherous if you were stupid. <laughs> um, uh, so that was the, you know, that wasn't fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't horrible either. I didn't really care, you know. Um, and the good part, so the positive part is, um, like for example, like I wanted to learn to defend myself, so it brought me into martial arts. Like I, I took up martial arts strictly to learn to defend myself. Period. I didn't care about like. All these other very nice aspects of martial arts, like getting in shape, making friends, being part of a community, finding right. like a family, right. which is all great. I'm all, hey, I'm happy for everyone if yes. you do that. I strictly wanted to learn to defend myself, period. So I started martial arts. I think I, I, think I was uh, about 11, and I took some, I don't know what martial art it was, with some, some guy, nice guy. I, even, I didn't even understand what it was back then, but it was like street self-defense. It was pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And then I... I rejoined martial arts uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, which was Kyokushin, which is, you know, I, it really set me on a path of high-level martial arts. So when you're 11 and you're doing martial arts, I know you don't remember exactly where you're taking, but you, you were, were you taking that consistently till you were 17? No, or I, I, did you just kind of like phase in and out of it? And I, I, was, I was very athletic. I was a very athletic kid. So like I was doing a lot of sports at a high level. So that was taking up most of my time. I did this martial art, you know, for a couple of years. And it was, I remember it was like, I remember him teaching us like, you know, if an, if an adult picks you up and tries to like abduct you, like bite their ear. I mean, it was pretty hardcore. Wow. Brooklyn was crazy, you know. Yeah, like he yeah, was yeah. Teaching us that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I remember that. That was like a class. Like if an adult picks you up and tries to like <laughs> abduct you, in a car. just like, you know, bite their ear as hard as you can. Like he was teaching us stuff like that. Like that was like a class, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I just kind of faded out of that for whatever reason. So, you know, I, I didn't, I don't remember the exact years, but there was a break where I didn't do any martial arts. 
And, you know, when you started doing that, though, did you have was there more confidence? Were you able to defend yourself? Were people still mugging you? Or I think it was, I was think there was still a, this respect. It was a, it was a street smartness. You just kind of like learn. I mean, I remember like, yeah. we, for example, there was a there was a store across the street from my house, right across from my house. So like, here's my house, like right across the street. And it was like, first of all, it was pinball machines before there were video games, that but then great. there was video games, you know. And me and my friends would just hang out there like all the time. It's like we just spent all our time there, like playing pinball or video games. And you know, you'd like put your quarter in the pinball machine and some kid who's like, you know, one of the guys who was like mugging you the rest of <laughs> just like push you right over. He'd play the game. You know, like And you just took it. Yeah. What, what are you gonna do? Right. Like, you know, like they're twice your size and he has five friends and they have weapons, you know, you're just like, okay, you know. So but it didn't, you know, it, it. I mean, my house was very good. I had a good house. Like, my parents were really good. So, like, my house was very safe and good atmosphere. So I wasn't like, you know, just, it was just part of that crazy neighborhood. Um, but uh, as far as, like, back to the martial arts, I don't know if it really made me that tough at that point. And maybe it did. Again, I was pretty athletic. So just being athletic was helpful. Like, it's kind of defending yourself. Right. Um but I don't think I really learned how to fight until I did Kyokushin. Cool. Talk to me about Kyokushin because I've seen videos of this martial art. So just quick background on me. I did Kaju Kembo when I was – I started when I was 18. So I did that for eight years, got a black belt. So I know exactly what you're talking about, about biting people's ears and hitting – in the like in Kaju Kembo, the one move you pretty much always do is hit someone in the groin. Mm -hmm. That is <laughs> stun him in the groin and then some other move. Yeah. So I totally get that. But Kyokushin, from my understanding, yeah, Kyokushin was again the, the the thing with the you know the bite the ear stuff. That's when I was a little kid. That was pre Kyokushin. Yes. Kyokushin. So here's the deal with Kyokushin. You know, we could have a whole interview on Kyokushin, but I'll yeah. try to. Okay. So let's say so Kyokushin, and I'm not listen. If you know if some other martial artist is watching this, or some other karate person, I'm not trying to insult anyone. Like, hey, if you do whatever you do, fine. So I, I have nothing bad to say about any martial art. With that said, I have to say some facts. <laughs> Anyone who knows Kyokushin knows it's, it's the best form of karate for real fighting. I'm not saying, you know, you know, obviously, there's many other reasons to do martial arts. People, like I said, they, they get in shape. They meet friends. They have a community. I mean, it's all beautiful. Maybe they have some spiritual growth or whatever. Sure. But Kyokushin, I mean, just don't take my word. Just look it up. I mean, Kyokushin kills everybody. All their, <laughs> all their open tournaments, anyone else who enters usually leaves on a stretcher. I mean, Kyokushin is, again, I'm not talking about jiu-jitsu. I'm not talking about, but in karate, karate, right, right. Uh, Kyokushin, in fact, in Japan, the name of Kyokushin is called the strongest karate in Japanese. It's said in Japanese. It's called, the, the title of Kyokushin is the strongest karate, and no one's arguing. So Masoyama was the founder of Kyokushin. He was actually Korean, but he came to Japan, had a lot of hard times, whatever. Um, uh, he, I'm just giving a quick bio. He no, studied Shotokan, but he thought it was like kind of whatever. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to speak for Masayama, but whatever. Then he did Gyojuru. He's like whatever. And then he, he wanted not point system. He wanted the fights to be real. He wanted to be full contact, no gloves, real fighting. And when he formed Kyokushin, his first dojo, it's called the Oyama Dojo, I think, the rules there were insane. Like when they fought, they'd have two hours of fighting every class, and it was pretty much no rules. I mean, it was like no gloves, no pads. I think they just wore a cup. <laughs> um, and there were no rules. You could punch, kick anywhere you want, groin. They went to the Head, ground. They did submissions. Yeah. It was street fighting, basically, okay. but in an organized way. And in fact, the guys, one of the problems they had, the guys were getting infections on their fists because they were punching in the teeth and people were getting infections. So they'd wrap their hands in gauze and fight. Anyway, so it, it made for a very tough dojo, but with very few students, people were dropping out left and right. Not everyone wants that kind of training. But he, he, uh, you know, he changed the rules a little bit. So the way I understand it was this. If you look at the rules of Kyokushin, because now if you look at the Kyokushin tournament, um, there's no gloves, no shin guards. All you wear is a cup and a mouthpiece. You, when you fight, you're trying to knock each other out. So it's not a point system. You're trying to KO the person. Uh, kneeing in the face is legal. You can grab someone's head and knee them in the face like full blast. I mean, you can knee them in their mouth. If their teeth go flying, that's legal, okay? You can low kick like tie boxing. Uh, you can kick in the head full blast. You can kick someone in the head with your shin full blast, just knock them out. You can punch in the body as hard as you want, you know, bare-fisted, solar mm -hmm. plexus, liver, ribs, collarbone, whatever. The one thing you can't do is you can't punch directly in the face. Now, here's the thing. This is how I understand it. 
when Masayama's dojo was getting crazy and everyone was like quitting, someone's like, hey, let's put boxing gloves on. And Masayama said, look, I'd rather keep it bare fist and just not punch in the face. Like they said, yeah, we just keep, you know, you're already punching the face, keep punching the face, put a glove on. He was such a purist. He's like, I don't want anyone to wear gloves. So if we have to take the face punches out, we will. Now, of course, in the street, obviously, do whatever you want in self-defense. But in the Oyama tournaments, you can't punch directly in the face. You can knee in the face, you can kick in the face, but you can't punch in the face. That was to preserve the gloveless uh, culture. Now, in the early 60s, I think it was 1962, Lumpini Stadium in Thailand challenged Kyokushin. Now, there's, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding the story because yeah. there's, hap- there's a reason it ended up like that, but I'm fast-forwarding. So Masayama was like, fine. So Masayama trained his top fighters to go to Thailand and fight in Thailand in Thai rules, like with the gloves, elbows, Thai rules. In so they're Lumpini's doing Thai boxing, and his fighters are doing Challenge style. match, yeah. So like they took yeah. three Thai champs of three different weight classes, three Kyokushin guys went over, fought totally Thai rules, gloves, everything. And um, Kyokushin won two out of three by KO. So nowadays, everyone's like, what's the best stand-up? It's Thai boxing. All the MMA fighters are like, let's do Thai boxing. I'm not saying it's not. It's great. It's awesome. But Kyokushin, when they had the top Kyokushin guys versus the top Thai boxers, Kyokushin won two out of three by KO. The and nobody one, probably knows that. Yeah, the one that they lost, um, the Thai guy elbowed the Kyokushin guy in the face. A huge cut was opened, and they stopped the fight. Now, by the way, I'm not saying the Kyokushin guy would have won. In fact, he would have lost because he was not only cut, he was stunned. Yeah. So I'm sure he would have lost. But the other two, the Thai guys were like stretchered off stretcher. I mean, they both got knocked out, punches in the face or kicks in the face, whatever. Which is how the Kyosha gang, this is how they fight anyway. So that's, right. what, that's what they're expecting. They're right. training to knock somebody out. Yeah. So anyway, so, so the cool part, the cool part um, of the Kyokushin story also is that Masoyama, the founder of Kyokushin, before he was the stand-up fighter, he did judo. He was a fourth degree in judo, and he trained with Kimura. Kimura, the guy who beat Elio Gracie. And the, the famous quote from Kimura was, no one can beat Oyama in <laughs> judo. In freaking judo. That's even before the striking. So Oyama was great in the ground. If you see pictures of Oyama, his ears were like totally destroyed, cauliflower ears. He was very good in the ground, but he still wanted to do the stand-up. Now, um, one of Masayama's students was this guy who ended up making, well, again, I'm fast-forwarding the whole lineage, but K1, the whole K1 is from Masayama's lineage. It was a Kyokushin student who broke off, but same thing, just different name, and made K1. So all of K1. All the best, uh, uh, all the best schools in Holland, that's where all the great K1 legends, Peter Arts, Ernesto Hoost, all these great Dutch, you know, P, uh, Rob Kamen, all their gyms were started by Kyokushin guys. There were Kyokushin guys who just said, okay, we're going to do kickboxing. So they took all the Kyokushin principles and just added the gloves and the face punching, and that's the Dutch kickboxing. So Kyokushin is awesome stuff. Masayama had three or four top students. One of his top students was uh, Shigeru Oyama, who was my teacher. Came to New York City, opened the school, and I trained with him You know, five, six, six, seven days a week, two hours a day for years. I fought around the world for him on his team of elite fighters. So um, that had a huge part of everything for me. So yeah. it was great. And I, I just want to say, and then I, I took up, Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a hobby when I was, like, in my 30s. I just I – mean, I love jiu-jitsu. I have right. plenty to say about it. I just took it up as, like, a hobby. But when I was really a fighter, it was a Kyokushin fighter. Yeah, and anybody that knows you, you you're a fighter. You, you've done all kinds of martial arts. Uh, if anybody follows your Instagram, you, you do Thai boxing. You're, you know a lot of the top fighters and stuff. So you've been in the martial arts game and in that world – You've seen it all, and I remember one time coming to your office, you actually told me, you're like, look, look, man, I respect all these martial arts. I do them all, but at the end of the day, I think you told me, and I could be wrong, but I think you said Kyoshiken is, it's the hardest. Well, I just said, all I might have said was this, that the training for Kyoshiken is the hardest. Like, for example, you can go to, like, the hardest workout in, like, like uh, a wrestling team in the Midwest where they have, like, you know, they talk about, like, the room, who's the t- Yeah, right. I'm sure... If I, the, the Kyokushin workouts for fighters were just utterly insane. And I'll say this, like, uh, Gleason's Boxing Gym is in Brooklyn. 
um, a couple blocks from where I grew up, actually. We didn't go there much, but the our team of Kyokushin fighters, sometimes we train at Gleason, sometimes we go in the ring and train. And the owner of Gleason's, who saw like, you know, like Mike Tyson, all these guys train there, he walked over to our coach and he was like, none of our boxers could get through this workout. And you know how, you know, a high-level boxer is in very amazing shape. So I'm not saying, listen, let's say someone's watching like, no, no, I, I do, okay, good, I don't care. You know, maybe you do a harder workout. I could care less. I'm just saying, in my experience, the Kyokushin workout at the highest level was like nothing I've ever seen. You know, and just real quick, because I saw one of your recent posts, because you still train in that martial art, yeah. and I saw you, you were, you were well, fighting like, with another... It's like a body another, conditioning, yeah. Yeah, and you guys, it, you, guys were hitting, you guys were hitting each other pretty well. Yeah. And the tag you wrote on Instagram was mindset training. I right, think, it's mind training, because mind the thing training. is, like, my body and that guy's body, we're already, like, trained. Like, if I punch him, like, really hard, bare-fisted in the liver, like, for your average person, that might drop them, but... He he's used to that, and I'm used to that. So, and even the low kicks we're doing, you know, are just it's just body. Con- it wasn't sparring; it's just body conditioning. Body conditioning, yeah. So I call it mind training because at some point you just training your mind with that because we've already trained our bodies for that. So, what a cool upbringing! And then, what what it led you to chiropractic? Fast forward. I, I mean, at one point, did you actually think you could do a career of, or, or at the time, you know, MMA wasn't popular till way later. So. Was there any Here's at the thing, any point I never, did you ever yeah. think oh, I could do this professionally or maybe I'll open my own dojo? I never, I never wanted to be a professional fighter ever. I mean, nothing against it. I just no interest in it. Um, I'll tell you one story that many people don't know. This is true. When the first K one came out, it was 1993. The first K one, they were organizing it. Um, Master Ishii, who's the founder of K one. His idol was my teacher because they both were from the Kyokushin lineage. And he kind of said, oh, I'm doing this K-1. It's for $100,000 if you want to bring any fighters. And my teacher said to me, hey, I can train you special for K-1. You can be in the first K-1. So I, I could have been the first K-1, but I, I wasn't going to fight Peter Arts and kickboxing. He would have killed me. So, um, <laughs> but, I, did you, but you were you, – you, I mean, you had to be good enough if your teacher thought, hey, you could do no, this. I, okay, yeah, fair but, enough. But at the same time, it's kind of cool to hear you say, no, ego, ego aside – he would have kicked my ass. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so I think Peter Arts and Ernesto Hoost, I just wasn't ready for guys like that. Now, if I fought Peter Arts and Kyokushin rules in my prime, I would have been okay. Yeah. But once we had the kickboxing rules, which I wasn't familiar with, I would, I would have needed like a lot of time to train in that, to get up that speed. And still, I don't think I would have done well. So I declined the first K-1, but I was asked by my teacher to do it. Okay, to answer your question for chiropractic, so I grew up in a very naturally oriented family. My family, uh, you know, we just like most people, you have like a doctor, an MD. We didn't even go to a doctor. Like our doctor was like a chiropractor. You yeah. know, my, my family's even back na- then. Yeah. What was the stigma with chiropractic back then? Was it very woo woo? These who these chiropractors are doing voodoo, or well, was it I, more accepted? I mean, well, here's the thing. I don't know because I, I was a kid, so I don't know what people thought of chiropractic. Um, we can get into my ideas of chiropractic later yeah. if you want. But all I can say is that, like, our doctor was not an MD. We basically – so my chiropractor was, like, our doctor. So I kind of grew up with that, and uh, he was also an excellent chiropractor. And I just loved chiropractic. I didn't think I would do it. I just loved it. Yeah. And I actually went to college. I was an economics major uh, at Brandeis University in the Boston area because it was a very excellent economics program because my family that I come from, like my dad, my uncles, my cousins, I come from a family of – Really smart people. It's hard to compete with these. Not that I want to compete with them, but I, I come from a, you know, my, my cousins are very smart and very successful. So, um, you know, most of my most of my family are very successful business people, or they, you know, they're high level investment bankers, or they yeah. advise hedge funds, or you know, it's a, it's, so it's you, a, you you started out going into that economic kind of world, like right. let me just follow the footsteps of everybody else, business right. kind of world, totally, yeah. exactly. So I was like kind of from that world of like investment banking and business, and you know, uh, my 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 dad, my cousins, whatever. So um, I kind of was going that route, but I love chiropractic. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I was like, I I, I was. I was such a huge fan of chiropractic. I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I just didn't think I would do it. So then I went to college in Boston. Um, I played four years varsity tennis. I was a tennis player. So I played four years varsity tennis in college. Um, Graduated, came back to New York City, worked in kind of the business world and worked with my dad for a few years in his business, which I loved. 
And then I was like, you know, I want to be a chiropractor. So I decided to be a chiropractor. And then I went back to school. I had to go to Atlanta for four years to do the chiropractic program. And by the way, I just went to chiropractic school to get my degree. It's like a degree. Like, but I didn't learn jack shit there about real healing. It just was the thing that lets me call myself Dr. Pete, the chiropractor. DC, doctor of chiropractic. Um, nothing against chiropractic school, but it sucked. <laughs> and... Um, and uh, and they all suck. And there's probably a couple decent principles that are, co- are taught in a couple of them, but they've lost what real chiropractic's all about. Luckily, I had my mentor, who was my chiropractor since I was a kid, who was one of the greatest chiropractors probably on the planet ever, and he taught me, and I, I learned from him. Why, why, why are they selling out? I mean, is it, are they trying to make it, you said they suck. Are they, is it, you said they lost their path. How did they? How have how have our teachers lost their path? Well, here's the thing. I'll, I'll start by saying I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an expert at like the evolution of chiropractic school yeah. and how it happened. I just know that in 1895, when D.D. Palmer founded chiropractic, the profession had nothing to do with neck and back pain. The first chiropractor wow. was just like, "We're going to align your spine. We're going to open up proper nerve flow to every cell in your body. We're going to help with your liver, your pancreas, your gallbladder." Uh, your uh, nervous system, your immune system, and pretty much unless you need like stitches or something, you know, or you know, have a burst appendix or something like that, like outside of that stuff, we're going to help you with anything. And they did. And then chiropractic has deteriorated into this joke of a profession where 99% of chiropractors, if you walk in their office, 99% of their patients are there for neck and back pain. It's a fucking joke. Right. So the thing is like... Um, you know, obviously, if people have neck and back pain, they need to be helped somewhere. So I'm glad chiropractors do it. And of course, I can I, I I get as good as results with neck and back pain as any chiropractor living. For sure. But um, it's for so much more, and that's what I do. And that's why 85 or so percent of my patients in my waiting room, you ask them why they're here to see Dr. Pete. They're here for their liver, their gallbladder, their pancreas, their nervous system, their immune system, whatever. And of course, if they have neck or back pain, I'll fix them up, no problem. So yeah, so I don't know how chiropractic got the way it got. I don't know. I have my ideas, but just some hypotheses. But you knew back then when you were in college, in chiropractic school, you knew like this, You did you know at that time or did you know much later that it was a joke? No, You're I like, knew right oh, away because wow. I'd sit there, I'm like, this is pathetic. But I was like, I have to get my degree, so I'll just do what they want. And Like for example, for example, in chiropractic school, they teach you like 110 orthopedic tests. Well, whatever. I'm not an orthopedist. I'm a chiropractor. I have chiropractic tests, which you know, feeling the back of the head, checking the zones. Yeah. Why would I do an orthopedic test? Like the fact that they're teaching that is just insulting to the profession. It's like you know, no. If an orthopedic, if an orthopedist does an orthopedist orthopedic test, good for you. Have fun. Yeah. Then I'm I'm not an orthopedist. Do what you do what you want. But uh, yeah. So that's just an example. So, and so how did you stumble upon your teacher? And, and know that, okay, this guy's the real deal. Exactly. He's, he's doing something different. That's exactly. So, again, I stumbled upon him by my parents bringing me to him when I was eight years old or so, whatever. And I knew him all those years. It's just that the thing is this. At some point, like, for example, at some point, results supersede everything else. So, for example, like, I saw that he got better results than everyone. So I was like, I'll yeah. just learn from that lineage of healing. It's like, for example, like, I feel like, if people are arguing like politics, like this person's like, I love Trump. I love, uh, you know, whoever the Democratic candidate's going to be. They're just arguing. I'm not saying who's right or wrong. It's just an argument. It's like, sure. I, I don't know who's going to have the right answer. Like, they'll make all the arguments for the Republican side. They'll make all the re- uh, arguments for the Democratic side. It's just opinions and theories and hypotheses. And no one's probably con- convinced the other one, or maybe they will. I don't know. But it's kind of like goes nowhere. It's like you just talk for two hours and you're just like, okay. And you feel happy that you got to see right. your point of view. Right. Yeah. But at some point, like, it's like if someone is on a liver transplant list, like someone, you know, someone goes to Stanford, they're like, oh, your liver's messed up. You need a liver transplant. And there's really nothing you can do about it. Well, when they come to my office, they're not, most likely, they're not going to need a liver transplant anymore because I'm going to fix their liver up. Can any other chiropractor do that? No, unless I taught them. So it's like, that's the point. It's like, 
how did I know my guy was the best? Because he got better results than everyone else. Now, right. just to be clear, I did have a patient come in a few months ago who had a liver issue, went to Stanford. She was on a liver transplant list. I, she came to me. We balanced out her liver. She had, she had her examination. They took her off the liver transplant list. Nothing else. She did nothing else no, other than no, come see you. No nothing, other nothing, pills or nothing, anything. Nothing. Wow. So the point is, now again, just to be clear, I'm a chiropractor. I don't treat disease. I don't treat symptoms. I don't diagnose disease, but I balance the body so it can heal itself. Now, any chiropractor is like, yeah, I do the same thing. I'm a chiropractor. I don't treat disease. I don't treat symptoms. I don't diagnose disease. I balance the body so it can heal itself. Oh, really? Well, you're doing that with the liver? No. So say whatever you want. It's a nice speech, but results are results. So that's how I look at it. Like, how did I find it? Results. How do I do it? Results. And you can't argue with results. Yeah, 100%. It reminds me of, you know, people talk about the scientific method. And I think one of the first things the scientific method is just like observation. Mm. And people forget that they could say whatever they want about chiropractic. That's not true. There's no way. It's like, well, didn't you forget? Like the first thing the science, it's like, look at what's happening. Look at at the results. Totally. And here's the other thing. Let's Let's say someone said like, oh, I think it's placebo. If I would just say, someone's like, well, I think the placebo effect Let's say the adjustment really didn't do anything, but the placebo effect made this person's liver heal. Let's just say. Yeah. You know what my answer would be? Okay, maybe. It's like, who cares? We fixed their liver. No one else could. No acupuncturist did it. No naturopath did it. No MD did it. No one could fix their liver. Came to me, their liver's fixed. They went to Stanford Medical Center. You know, like, it's proven. They have a letter that says you're off the liver transplant list because your liver is healthy now. So my point is like this, like, how much does the mind play in the patient's belief, is it 100% placebo? Is it 0% placebo? Is it 50? I don't care. Results are results. Uh, good. Let it be placebo. <laughs> Let it not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. Let's right. say someone else comes and they have panic attacks. One thing I'm really good at helping with. Someone's having panic attacks. They come to me. We balance their body. They get no more panic attacks. And someone's like, was it the chiropractic adjustment you're giving that balanced their body in such a way that they don't get panic attacks? Okay. Yeah, probably. Let's say that someone's like, I think it's like... I think it's placebo, Pete. Like they came to you, you have a confident demeanor, they're kind of with you, and they, they just feel calm from that. Probably the adjustments don't mean much. Well, <laughs> before they came to me, they had panic attacks every day. Now they have zero panic attacks. They never have panic attacks. I don't give a damn. So right. I'm not going to ever argue with someone. Someone's like, oh, I think, I think what do you want? <laughs> I'm, do, I'm getting these results. People fly into me from 25 different countries. I have 100 patients who drive four hours each way to see me. That's eight hours of driving for two minutes with me because of the results. So right. again, any debate about, oh, is it moving the bone? Is it taking pressure off the nerve? How much does the mind play? Is it placebo? I don't care. I, I don't know. First of all, I don't know what percent of what. You know, Is it yeah. 0% placebo? Maybe. Is it 100% placebo? Okay. I don't Maybe. Is it what... Somewhere in between, the bottom line is, I had a woman come recently, she was, she was having gallbladder attacks. The doctor's like, you need your gallbladder out. You know, not like today. It's not like, not like an emergency surgery, but like, you got to get your gallbladder out in the next month. She tried everything under the sun. Nothing worked. She came to me. I balanced her body out. No more gallbladder attacks. She's, she has a gallbladder and she'll keep it and it will remain healthy. That's all I care about. Now, if someone wants to take it, what percentage of it was... Uh, you could figure that out. I don't care. <laughs> that's not, that's, I'm just down with like yes. results. I love it. Now, your mentor, so let's talk about your <clears throat> lineage of chiropractic because I don't think a lot of people know it. It is the zone system, correct? Mm-hmm. So here, can, you, can you talk about that? Sure. So my lineage is- I guess is, what makes it different, right? Totally. The founder of chiropractic, D.D. Palmer, he's the founder. So that's, this is my lineage. D.D. Palmer is the founder of chiropractic, 1895. He had a student named James Drain who was the president of Texas Chiropractic College years ago. James Drain taught Dr. Thurman Fleet. Dr. Thurman Fleet taught my chiropractor who taught me. That's my lineage from the founder of chiropractic. That's my lineage. Now, the only thing about that lineage, which is funny, is that even though James Drain taught Fleet, Fleet had his own experience, which superseded all these guys. So he was really, really the, the mecca of healing, Dr. Fleet. And he taught my chiropractor and then... I learned from him. So my real lineage, even though I gave it to you, you know, from the founder, it's really from Dr. Fleet. And then I've had many experiences in my own life, other healing ideas I've got, 
martial arts, metaphysics, and yeah. I've kind of created the zone technique because Dr. Thurman Fleet, he made what he called zone therapy in 1931. He was the greatest. I love Dr. Fleet. And then I learned zone therapy and then I've had a lot of influences and I've tweaked it a little bit. I changed it a little bit from what Dr. Fleet did and I, I made what's called zone technique and that's what I do. And then I opened a school called the Zone School of Healing and it's zonetechnique.com. Anyone who wants to go, zonetechnique.com. And it's a school for chiropractors, acupuncturists, osteopaths, naturopaths. Any doctor or healer who wants to learn the zone technique and the principles of healing and get amazing results, it's an online program. It's an amazing program. When someone joins the zone school, they get almost 50 hours, 50 hours of me teaching them on video. And I have a very good video producer, so it's like super high quality. And they get... You know, we have live Q&As, we have live events, we have live event videos, we have an advanced program. It's an amazing thing. And it's also money-back guarantee. So if anyone takes my zone school and they're like, eh, it sounded good, but actually I joined and I'll get a refund. And we don't, we don't play games like if you want a refund, we just whatever amount we charge in your credit card, we refund that amount. So you, you get your money back if you don't like it. But we have about 550 students now on the way to tens of thousands. And I think I've given like nine refunds. So, yeah, I mean it's fantastic. And we were talking before offline, and you know, your business is thriving here in San Francisco, and it's kind of cool. I think I'm guessing you've just reached a point in your life where it's like it's time to give back. It's time to give more, and let's get let's get t- zone practitioners all over the United States, not just me in San Francisco. This is what this is what kind of made me do that, just to refine what you're saying on, on that point. You know, I remember. Uh, you know, one day, I woke up one day, I remember thinking like, wow, doc, you know, I was thinking, wow, Pete, it's, uh, it's kind of cool. You have people flying in from all over the world to see you who can't be helped by anything else and they fly in and get healed. Uh, again, I'm not healing anyone. I'm just balancing their body in a very, very effective way so their body can heal itself. Or I was thinking, Pete, it's so cool. You have like 100 people who drive four hours each way to see you. That's people driving eight hours in a day for two minutes with you. But I, then I was like, you know what? I just want to teach everyone to do that. I want doctors and healers all over the world to know this so people don't have to do that. And that's what made me open it. Yeah, it's, that's great. It's awesome. Uh, walk us through a – because we, I know I know what the zone technique is, but walk us through, I guess, like a, a typical appointment, what someone can expect if they were to come and sit down in your <laughs> office and what it even means to be a zone technique. Sure. So the zone technique basically – it divides the body up into six systems. Glandular system, that's all your glands. And you know, people know their glands because they have a name like thyroid gland, adrenal gland. Then there's some glands that you may not know are glands, but they're glands, right? So you have glands. Then you have the eliminative system. That's everything that eliminates toxins. Sinuses, lungs, kidneys, intestines, these eliminate toxins. Then you have the nervous system. It's like your brain, your spinal cord, and your peripheral nerves, which affects a lot. You have your digestive system, similar to the eliminative, but a little different. That's everything that digests and assimilates your food. You have your muscle system. That's every muscle in your body. And you have your circulatory system, you know, heart, veins, arteries, et cetera, et cetera, things responsible for the movement of blood in your body. So the cool thing is every cell in your body is in those six systems. Like you don't have anything else besides what's in those six. So any problem someone could have, migraine headaches, weak immune system, panic attacks, IBS, whatever it is. It's because of a disturbance in one or more of those six systems. And when we balance those six systems, the person's going to heal. So there's points in the back of the head. Now I'm going to kind of brush through this part because this is like a 45-minute conversation. I'm going to give you the... And if, they, if somebody wants to know this, they can join your school. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well put. This, is, this part, I'm going to give you the quick summary. But there's points in the back of the head that relate to the six systems of the body. Let's just put it like that. It's like, for example, you go to an MD, they want to evaluate your body. They take a blood test, whatever they take. You go to an acupuncturist, they want to evaluate your body. They look at your tongue, they feel your pulse, whatever. You come to me, I'll feel the back of your head, and I'll know more accurately than any of those things what's actually happening in the body. Then there are certain points in the spinal cord that I gently stimulate to reset those systems, and then they heal, and you get all better. That's, what is, that's the physical aspect of the zone technique, physically. But metaphysically, which is kind of like meta, meaning like above or beside or beyond, mm-hmm. things beyond the physical that affect the physical, 
that's really where the, where the healing takes place. And 90% of what I teach in zone school is the metaphysical aspects of healing. And 10% of what I teach in the zone school is like how to feel the head, how to, where to be, you know, the physical aspects of healing. I remember when I first, one of the first times I met you, it was actually in a jujitsu class uh, under uh, Carlos Sapon. And uh, you were, of course, kicking my butt. And I had a uh, shoulder injury that had been nagging me for a while. I was babying it, and I had it at least a good year. And I know my body pretty well, and I, I love chiropractors. I love massage therapists. I'm into all that stuff. So I have... I'm I'm good. You, you say Joel, go see a chiropractor. Absolutely. I, that's I would rather go see them than some regular MD. So I'm already on board with you. So here's the thing. I remember exactly, and in my personal opinion, I'm like, uh, you. We were ch- we were chatting offside, and you said, "Oh, what's going on?" I told you my shoulders bothering you. You said, "Well, you should come see me." And I looked at you and I said, "Yeah, here's the thing, Doctor Pete. I'm like, it's not really a joint issue. It's not really uh, my spine or like a vertebrae issue." It's not a bone issue because that's, that's what my mind thought when I thought of chiropractors. I said, it's more of like some kind of muscle or tendon issue. And you looked at me and you said, just come see me. Like, I can help with that. And I was like, okay. I didn't really know what – I'm like, this guy seems super confident. I don't think he understands what I'm saying. I don't know if he gets it. It's a tendon or a muscle. I don't, you, don't, you don't heal that. That's what I thought in my head. And he said, just come see me. Just come see me. I promise. So then I came, saw you, I came and saw you. I don't know how many times I saw you. But let's just say it was over three or four treatments. I would say my shoulder, my left shoulder, got 80% better. And it had been nagging and lingering for almost a year, at least. And I had already recruited like at least 80% the strength and everything had returned. And what, do you, what do you equate that to? Because I think most people, like you said, they think vertebrae, joints, Bones, that's what chiropractors do. You're not going to help my muscular issue. On the simplest level, the answer to your question is any good chiropractor knows that every single cell in the body is run by nerve flow. So just by even though the problem could be here, you adjust the neck, open the proper nerve flow to the tendons, ligaments, muscles, fascia with the proper flow, these cells can heal. So that's just a simplistic answer. The deeper answer is, uh, I, you know, I've, trying to keep it like within the realm of understandability for like your average person watching this. Like, of course, people in my school really get this on a deeper level. The bigger answer is that the body is a reflection of something above and beyond it. And if you know how to kind of interact with the stuff that's above and beyond it, you can kind of like take it and like put it in the body. So there's like an idea of like Joel's shoulders all better. It's just an idea. But if I know how to like take that idea and like throw it in your shoulder, that's what you'll get. Now, I know it's very abstract. It's kind of hard to understand for just hearing that. But anyone in zone school, after several hours learning from me, it's like nothing. It reminds me of Bruce Lipton's book, Biology Belief, Mm -hmm. and talking about like almost quantum healing, that, Mm -hmm. that belief and just that if, if you believe in something so powerfully, there's, there's energy, there's, there's, there's vibrations, right, in the world and that we're all connected. And so it kind of reminds me of that when you're talking about it. And I think one of the other things that you've said earlier is that when you balance the body, the body can heal itself. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I always remember about you. And it's like, hey, if we give you the right inputs – then your body is strong enough. It will heal itself. It just needs the right input. You know, it's interesting because you're right. That's perfectly said. I have nothing to say about what you said except I agree with you. It's just interesting. I don't know how many like chiropractors will watch this, but here's the major disconnect for chiropractors. Even though you didn't ask, I'm going to take this opportunity to say, so many chiropractors say that. to so like, oh, the power that made the body heals the body. And when they, they call it relieving subluxations, which is putting bones in place to take pressure off nerves – then what they call innate. Innate is this power within your body that, you know, if you get a cut, it like heals the cut. Uh, my question to those chiropractors, where's the disconnect? Why, why aren't you getting people off the liver transplant list? Because you're not, you know, but I am. So, and my students can. So that's the thing that chiropractors have to be careful of is falling back on this very flowery philosophy like, hey, the power that made the body heals the body. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. But what about, so what? Why are 90, 90% of your people in your office there for neck and back pain? And, of course, you know, you practice long enough, you get your miracles here and there, but why not day in and day out are you dealing with, like, the liver, the gallbladder, the, you know? Yeah. And that's what I do. So, and that's what my students can do, and that's what I'm teaching. So 
my invitation to the chiropractors of the world is come learn. Come learn to do what you say you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I remember too, uh, just for people that they never experienced being adjusted by you, you, with the zone points that you find, you will go all up and down different points. I never had a chiropractor adjust like my lower, like lumbar area of the back. And I was like, whoa, uh, I've never had that happen. Never. No one's ever. They always just stay in that upper thoracic area and then neck and a little bit leg stuff here. Never have I had anybody go to that lower lumbar area. And I remember even a couple of times you had kind of put pressure or um, it wasn't like a complete, like what people would say, a crack. Like he cracked my back and uh, I didn't feel it crack, you know. And I remember you, you said, oh, no, no, that's good. Like, and I'm like. Really? Like, so talk to me really about like, even, even though you may not hear a crack in your lower back or wherever you're adjusting, you were saying, no, no, that's fine. That's perfect. That's two that's things. great. What I just two felt. things. Number one, you're right. Most chiropractors will adjust the neck, upper back. And if they're just ad- addressing your lumbars or pelvis, it's with you on your side. They don't do a lot of what's called prone adjusting of the lumbar. Yes, yes. When the fr- person's face down and you're adjusting like L4, like, <laughs> yes. they don't know how to do that. And they're, but I do that. I'll be on L3, L4, L5. <laughs> And it's gentle, though. It feels right, great, gentle, as you know. Yes. Now, but if I'm on L3, L4, L5, and I'm not getting a audible noise, yeah. the zone technique is a spinal cord stimulation technique to heal the brain. Most other chiropractic techniques are what's called intersegmental bone-moving techniques, saying, like, this bone's out of place, putting a pressure on it, or whatever. I'm actually doing things to stimulate your spinal cord. So we hear a noise, great. We don't hear a noise, great. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, I want to talk about, you work with a lot of MMA guys. How did you, you fall in? If anybody, I don't know what your website looks like, but, but in the past, I mean, if you look at your website, you have treated any, any well-known like professional fighter, MMA fighter. So yeah, some of my patients are like BJ Penn, Boss Rutten, Gilbert Melendez, Jake Shields, Crone Gracie, Hickson Gracie, Higgin Machado, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I would just say like, no reason. I just, these guys want results, you know? So if you're, if you're BJ Penn and no one can help you and you've been to like... Talk about BJ Penn really sure. quick because I think it's a great story. Sure. I met BJ Penn in 2004. He was the world champ at the time. He already beat Matt Hughes for the last welterweight champ of the UFC. Um, he hurt his neck badly. His neck was hurting all the time. He went to like chiropractors, acupuncturists, medical doctors. No one could help him. He was in agony. Uh, they told him to retire and get neck surgery. And I saw him uh, six visits, six adjustments, zone adjustments. His neck was perfect. Now, BJ Penn, as you know, has had his ups and downs in his career, but he never heard about his neck again. I fixed that in 2004. And I've been very good friends with him ever since, and I've worked on him ever since. Tons of fighters I know have come and see you, have amazing results. Uh, Denny Prokopovs, he's in the city. He's a black belt in 10th Den- Planet Jiu-Jitsu. I know he – I remember talking to him. He said – I think he needed knee surgery or something at the time. I don't know if you remember that. Denny was, Denny was destroyed, and uh, he's really good, by the way. Denny's like – I consider him like an underrated jiu-jitsu competitor. I mean, he's a three-time world champ. He can't be that underrated. <laughs> but he's really good. Yeah. Like, Denny is like really, really – elite world-class. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, he was pretty much in bad shape. We fixed him up. He'll tell you. Yeah. And then I remember also there were a couple of football players. Uh, one guy, I remember you told me a story for the Raiders, I think, a quarterback, and they said, you're, you're done for like seven months or something. And- right, that was Bruce Gradkowski. He was the Raiders quarterback. They told him he'd be out for one year, and I had him back starting in three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. And then another one. Justin uh, Tuck. There was a hockey player who couldn't see. I think his vision was blurry or something. Oh, that was um, uh, the hockey player was, uh, yeah, he's the, the captain of an NHL team, famous guy. He came out to see me. He actually had concussion problems. It wasn't that he couldn't see, okay. but he, he had several concussion symptoms. And because, you know, he's so wealthy and so famous, he went to like the best concussion centers and they were hooking electrodes up to his head. No one did anything for him. And I adjusted him like a couple times and he was yeah. like all better. Amazing. Any, um, any MMA uh, guys or any, any, anybody that uh, you remember specifically that was just a remarkable story or, or just that you, that's very memorable adjustment um, that you can share? I mean, the only, the only, the only uh, 
memorable. I mean, I've many. I've taken. I mean, I'm thinking maybe somebody you, you adjusted him, then they choked you out or something. Anything cool uh, like that? Or? Well, <laughs> I mean, the thing that comes comes to mind is here's one, and it was actually not the greatest story in a way, but it was a great story in a way. So, I, I you know, I'm not. The, I don't get starstruck very easily. Like I, when I'm around famous people, like I just don't care. And it's kind of funny. One MMA fighter came to me, and I don't know why. I just kind of got starstruck when I was around him. And it didn't really make sense because I'm, I was never like a huge fan of his. Not that I didn't like him. I had nothing against him whatsoever. And I respected him totally. And I was a fan, but I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of his. I wasn't right. a big fan at all. And there were plenty of people who were just as, if not more famous than him, who have come to me, who I really liked. You'd think if I was going to get starstruck, it would have happened around then. I mean, I've adjusted Hicks and Gracie. I wasn't starstruck around him at all. Yeah. Um, but Randy Couture came into me to get adjusted, and I don't know why. I got like kind of starstruck. I don't even know why I did. It was kind of weird. And it was kind of. And I'm I'm not breaking patient confidentiality, which I would never do. Right. Because he wrote this in his autobiography. What I'm going to say. So Randy comes in, and I feel the back of his head, and he had a chronic zone two, which means his eliminative system had been out for a long time. I felt that in his head. And I don't know why, maybe because I was starstruck. I, I didn't tell him. I should have been like, hey, Randy, you know, like, I mean, I would have with anyone else. I just don't know why. Yeah. I was like, I should have been like, or I usually would have said, hey, Randy, I find your eliminative system, which is your sinuses, lungs, kidneys, bladder, intestines, has been unbalanced for a long time, but I'm going to start balancing it. I mean, I didn't say that. I mean, I still gave him a zone two adjustment. It was great. He loved it. Yeah. Um, then he left. That was it. And I remember thinking, man, he had a really chronic zone two. I felt it in 10 seconds. So in 10 seconds, I knew that his sinuses, lungs, kidneys, bladder, intestines was not working for a long time. Then I read his autobiography at some point, and it said that he was a bedwetter for very late. I think he was a bedwetter at a very old age. And I'm like, yeah, chronic bladder problem. I would have impressed the shit out of him if I told him <laughs> that, but I didn't. So that's one story. But anyway, the rest were much smoother because I was... On my game. <laughs> right, right. Just that was that one day of my life that I was like a little starstruck. I don't know why. That's awesome. Well, I'll say one thing about Randy Couture. <laughs> he's like, he's got a huge freaking head. I remember yes. like seeing next to him, you know, see him on TV. I was like, this guy's like a head, like a bowling ball. He's just like a big person. <laughs> he does have a big head, yeah. Yeah. Do, does that, by the way, does that ever affect you as far as like, oh my God, this guy's got a giant head or like anybody muscular? No, it doesn't I take matter. care of Deion Jordan of the Raiders. He's like, uh, Deion Jordan, 6'6, 281. Um, oh, he is in the Raiders, yeah. Um, he comes in like once or twice a week. Nothing, adjust him like I adjust anyone. Cool. Um, here's a, the only other time I was a little starstruck, but I, he was not my patient, was Mirko Krokop. I was, oh, yeah. I was in a gym working out. He was at the same gym. So I saw him go in the, to shower. I was like, oh, I want to get like, I want to like meet Mirko Krokop, you know? So I walked in and he was like, I think he just came out of the shower. He was like brushing his teeth at the sink. So I wasn't going to bother him. So I just like, I was like, let me think of an excuse to use the sink. So I just like watching my hands so I could be next to Mirko Krokop. But that was about it. I didn't even, you know. You didn't even adjust him? No, no, no. He was not my patient. But okay. I stood next to him. <laughs> um, hey, tell us some, some projects that you're working on that's uh, really exciting you right now. So the Zone School is growing at rapid rate. Like I said, it has 550 or so people on the way to tens of thousands. Um, Again, zonetechnique.com. If anyone, if any chiropractor, doctor, healer out there wants to join Zone School, go to zonetechnique.com and join. It's money back guarantee if you don't love it, but you'll love it. Um, you can learn everything online. It's amazing online program. Plus, I have live events I, which are optional, but come to them too if you want. Um, so I'm kind of psyched for you know I'm teaching a lot of live events. Um, I have a mastermind for some of my students I'm doing for 2020. The school's growing, so super that's, exciting, that's man. Uh, you ready for some like lightning round questions? Go. How do these work? Yeah, just say the first word that comes to my mind. No, or? it doesn't need to be that. It's not gonna be that fast. Okay. Um, but, but just, just, just so kind of short. It'll be probably a shorter answer. Okay, that's go. all. That's all I mean. So not just one word, just short, short yeah, answer. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I like always asking. I'm a I'm an avid reader. I have been influenced by a, a lot of good books. You have a lot of knowledge. What are like top maybe one or three books that you would recommend that people should be reading? I Am That by Nisargadatta. I Am That by Nisargadatta. Rays of the Dawn by Dr. Thurman Fleet. And um, any book by Koichi Tohei on Ki, K-I. Like, so like Chi, like energy. Well, flow, well Chi but is a Chinese pronounced... word. Ki is a Japanese word. Same thing. But wow. Koichi Tohei. T-O-H-E-I. 
Okay, we'll put in the show notes for people to, so they can find these books. That's amazing. Very cool. If the old you could see the new you, what would he say? You mean to give advice to or yes. just a, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. observing? Yeah. Um, just to be more tolerant of people. Like mm. I think, I think I've, I'm much better now. I think when I was younger, my 20s, like I felt like if someone, you know, was acting a certain way or they just didn't seem to understand stuff, I would be like more just in my own head. I wasn't right. cruel to them, but in my own head, more impatient with them. Now I kind of realize everyone's just doing what they're doing and it's not for me to say what people should do or think or whatever. I totally get that. And I think I feel like every decade you kind of progress as a person, right? In your 20s, you're um, just, there's a lot of ego involved, a lot of testosterone. You're trying to prove yourself. Um, I, I know for me, as every kind of decade, I feel like I've become uh, less about me. And I think that changed a lot for me just having kids and stuff. I kind of felt like it's time to give back and it's kind of, it's time to do more. It's not about me anymore. Right? I agree. Like just, just the evolution of like, you know, being in your body, like I, over time, you know, you're, your priorities change and your uh, the way you see the world changes often. Yeah. All right, let's talk about let's talk about neck back issues. How should people sleep? On their back, on their side? Doesn't matter. You, Doesn't matter. If if your body's balanced, which means you either come to me or someone who knows what they're doing, you find a comfortable position and go to sleep. <laughs> Love it. So uh, my next question was going to be is there any favorite pillow or something that you use but that's Get a comfortable be... pillow and buy it. <laughs> okay, great. How about this one? Should you crack or self-adjust yourself? Here's the answer. I don't recommend this. Like, Yes. But if you wake up in the morning and you're having a nice gentle stretch and you hear some pops, who cares? What about me? Sometimes I'll like find a desk or something and I'll like just slam across it and crack my thoracic. Or I'll take a kettlebell and I'll throw it on my chest and I'll, on the fl- I'll be laying down my back on the floor and I'll kind of just... I mean, I think it's a little extra. I wouldn't. It's <laughs> not horrible, but I don't recommend it. If you could, if people could see your face, right. you were giving me a look of disgust. Like, don't disgust don't, is abso- a strong word. Absolutely Disgu- don't. Absolutely don't do that. Disgust is a strong word, but okay. <laughs> How does? Well, you're looking at me, so maybe you're right. <laughs> How does? I didn't feel disgust. <laughs> How does the? Uh, How does Doctor Pete take care of his his neck and back? What are some healthy? I mean, routines? I get adjusted once you, a week all year round. I get adjusted once a week all year round. I exercise almost every day, if not every day. I think walking is really good. I think walking Mm. is the most underrated exercise in the world. I think everyone should take long walks if they can. Wow. I would have never thought you would have said that. What's what's one – so I'm big into like hacks um, and rituals and practices. You know, some people have – they use gratitude journals. Is there a practice or ritual that you do on a regular or daily basis that you think is super important and you're I think I think what I think really it. whatever works meaning I think there are some people who have like a routine or ritual and it works so they should do it but I don't think everyone has to do those but again back to results like if someone's like man I'm happy I'm healthy I don't do that stuff well don't start you know you're doing good or if someone's like I'm happy I'm healthy I do that stuff we'll keep doing it it works so yeah. I don't think anyone has to do anything um, to achieve success there's many different ways with that said I try to walk every day. To take wow. a decent walk every day. I try to stretch every day. Not a, not a lot. I try to stretch for like I don't care if it's four minutes, two minutes. I try to like stretch a little bit, you know, a couple minutes a day. So stretch a couple minutes a day. Any special stretching? Like you're using bands or anything? I, or no, is I don't it just like a it's in the uh, actually the Tohei book, uh, the uh, Tohei book that I recommend that we could put in the yeah. notes if you ask me for the link. Yeah. He shows some stretching. It takes like three four minutes a day. I like his. Um, so I like to stretch every day a little bit. I like to walk every day. I like to exercise every day also if I can, like do some kind of – I mean, for me, I like martial arts. I, I like to play ice hockey, so maybe play ice hockey, maybe, you know, whatever. Um, I also like to, as far as like the daily stuff, um, kind of like image. I like kind of like imagining certain things uh, – for lack of a better word, being a certain way. Yeah. And I think it just kind of like creates it. I do that every day for like a minute, two minutes. Well, that's awesome. So it's like something like you kind of prime your day by doing this, like some kind of visualization. Yeah, but I, could, I usually do it at, at night, late at night, uh-huh. as opposed to the first thing in the morning. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's not good to do first thing in the morning, but yeah. since you're asking me, no, yeah, I just do it right for you. Yeah. Very cool. Um, wow. Thanks, man. This has been amazing. I think I just want to finish up with just, and I know we've kind of talked about it, but just one last wrap up where people can find you. So I think uh, the most important thing is 
uh, if you're a chiropractor, if you're an acupuncturist, if you're an osteopath, if you're a naturopath, if you're a doctor or healer, even a massage therapist of any type who wants to learn healing at its highest level, um, I would go to zonetechnique.com and join the Zone School. Um, I think that covers it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Dr. Pete, Hack Life. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. It absolutely means the world to me, and I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity. If any of this resonates with you, feel free to go to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. There you can follow me, or you can follow me on Spotify. And if you're interested in life coaching or health coaching, you can find me at JoelEvanCoaching.com, and I'd love to connect with you there. Thanks, and continue to be amazing. 